There's nothing better than experiencing His presence. I'm excited you're here this morning. I want to welcome everyone. It has been a busy, busy weekend around here and with Zion Christian Academy. Uh, y- yesterday we had our color run, our ZCA 5K up at the powerhouse. Uh, close to 200 people showed up, our school families, church families, and um, uh, Bren did uh, all the, the punching and what the profits and the cost of things were. And between the entire color run from our school side, uh, with our, our students raising funds on calendars and registration, uh, Mr. Larry, our PE teacher, getting in the dunk tank and making himself available to be dunked. He went down about eight times, so that was a lot of fun. Um, but we raised $19,700 through our ZCA color run. Can we just thank God for that? And so I am very excited, very hopeful um, about all God's doing as, as I just shared and, and really what began to stir in me last night. And I have a, a little video I want to show you. But really the winds of change that are blowing through this church, that are blowing through this ministry, that are blowing through our school as we're taking steps forward to expand um, our school, Zion Christian Academy. Now what's neat is this was, uh, if you've been here for some years and when Pastor Joyce would minister, one of her key phrases was always expect what? Winds of change. And she would always teach us how to embrace change, how to go with what the Holy Spirit is doing. Even so much that we had uh, a broadcast, a TV program that aired locally uh, for several years called Winds of Change. Now, a lot of you, who was a part of that show of hands? You ran cameras, you helped with scripts, you did setups. So there's several of you that were a part of that. But I was just digging through some archives, pulled up some pictures uh, that um, I think you might enjoy. Second service, we're going to show a, a couple more. But um, I also found a quick opening. Now, uh, this was 2007, so you're going to see some purple carpet. You're going to see some gold carpet. Uh, a lot of the changes that have just taken place here at our church back in 2007. But here's just a little clip, and then I just want to share a few things about it and just really share with you a moment uh, a few things. But Kenny, go ahead and roll this little opening clip from the Winds of Change program. Place Church welcomes you to Winds of Change with Senior Pastor Joyce Robinson Cornelius. Bringing back some memories, isn't it? So there was the opening to the program of Winds of Change, where we did several years here at the church. So as you can tell, Winds of Change have happened since then as well. But really, if you look back just on the timeline of our church, and toward the end of the service, Chad is going to share a story of faith. And so was my mom, some stories and encouragement of faith of really where we've believed, we've stepped out in faith, and we've seen God move. 
And so I want to give some time for that at the end of the service just to encourage us as we're about six, week, six weeks in on this campaign for the future and believing God to stretch us, to move us, and to push us forward. Aren't you guys excited about this season of our church? I know I am, and I pray you're catching that excitement as well. But this morning, I just want to share just briefly, really a passage of scripture talking about our school, ZCA, and it comes from 2 Kings verse 11. And this was a passage of scripture I heard taught on probably when I was 17, 18 years old. And through this, God really began to put a burden on my heart, now almost 10 years later, of our school, of beginning to put a, a passion in me to come back and to serve this church, to serve the place that instilled so much into me. And I believe this really defines the heart of why we do what we do, why we have this school, why we're wanting to move forward with it, why as a church we support it, and is it's a ministry of what we do. But I want you to see this, and I want you to see really, really prophetically as we read into this what God is saying to us and the part we all play in our homes and with ZCA. Look what it says. It says in verse 1, when Athaliah, the mother of King Ahazi of Judah, learned that her son was dead, she began to destroy the rest of the royal family. But Ahazi's sister, Jehoshobah, excuse me on that one, it's early, the daughter of King Jerome took Ahazi's infant son, Joash, and stole him away from among the rest of the king's children. Another translation says, hid him from the rest of the king's children who were about to be killed. She put Joash and the nurse in a bedroom, so a secret compartment in the room, and it says, and they hid him from Athaliah. So the child was not murdered. Joash remained hidden in the temple of the Lord for six years while Athaliah ruled over the land. We see something powerful take place here that really jumped out to me and has always been a verse I've gone back to to stir in me why we do what we do, why we have the school here, why we put intentionality in our homes to raise our children, to have a, a spiritual atmosphere in our homes for our children to grow up and know the things of God. A little context on the story here. What you see is a grandmother who sees a chance at the throne, a chance to rule. And she sees that what's standing in her way is her grandchildren. And so this story here speaks of a grandmother who usurps her own children and her grandchildren and goes on a killing spree with a group of assassins and goes and murders her grandchildren. Now the mother caught wind of this, what was taking place. And so what we see take place is the mother who catches wind of this then takes her son and hides him. And look what it says. It says that as the son was being hidden, uh, he was hidden for six years, six or seven years. Yeah, six years it says. And then when, if you go on, you read the story. Then after those six years, that son was then brought to the forefront as he was being trained, as he was being developed, and then was able to lead God's people. And as you go on and you read the story, he would lead Israel for 40 years and lead them into a great uh, time of peace, a great time of prosperity. But how many of you know, based off the story, that would have never taken place if he was not hidden? And so as I pray and as I look into the future of our school, what we see here 
and what really the heart of the school is, is to hide our children. It's as though the school is a greenhouse, a temporary place that our children as seedlings are going to be protected, are going to be cared for, that we're not hiding them from culture, but we're training them and preparing them to then go out and change culture. And so we're not just trying to protect, we are protecting them and, and, we're, and raising them, but it's not a, uh, a residence for the rest of their life. We're preparing them and training them. We're hiding them. You know, when you think about it, the enemy has a much different plan for our children and our grandchildren than what God does. God has planned, purpose, calling, destiny, things he wants to fulfill in our kids. But you have to remember over here, the enemy has a plan for our children as well. When you think about it, when the enemy looks at our kids, he sees future addicts, he sees future alcoholics, he sees future um, uh, kids that are so caught up in sexual immorality that are in unhealthy relationships. He sees every sin, every vile thing that he wants to get into our children's life. And if he can get our children, how much more would the enemy love to get children than get them when they're adults? Because if he can get our children, he can literally mess them up for the rest of their lives. And so what we see here is a mother who was able to look into what was taking place, discern properly, and it says that she then went and hid her son from her grandmother. And so I pray this morning that in your homes, first and foremost, that there would be a hiding place for your children, that you would take the spiritual climate of your home seriously. It's a challenge for all of us. It's a selfless walk. But it's what God commands us to do in Scripture, what we see Jesus, what we see the Proverbs teach us. Train up a child in the way they should go. And when they grow old, what does the Bible say? They won't depart from it. And so I'm telling you, when you're investing into this school, every, since 1995 when it was established, it has been a hiding place for myself. I'm excited because my own kids are going to be able to be here one day. Many of your children, many of your extended family friends, this school has been a blessing and a hiding place for our kids so they can be developed and then go and change the world. There was, I just saw on Facebook, I haven't connected with her in several years, but we had, Christian, how many do we have in our eighth grade class? About seven or eight? Seven. There was um, a girl that was in her class, Lynette. She finally just graduated from Clemson University with her master's degree in architecture. And so she's been uh, probably nine, 10 years in college, but is now stepping into the workforce, educated, ready to go. And who knows, she might design churches one day, she might design schools one day. It's just awesome to see the path that takes place when in those instrumental years, elementary, middle school, prayerfully as we move forward, high school, that we can be a hiding place for our children and for our grandchildren. I'm expecting and I'm excited about the future of what's going to take place here. And I just want you to catch that same excitement of what God is doing. But I really just want to take a few moments and I want to continue to encourage you. Last week, Bree had mentioned in her uh, message that God gives assistance for our assignment gives assistance for our assignment. The week before that, we talked about being anchored. In Hebrews 6, 19 being our foundational scripture where it says, we have this hope, a hope that is both firm and that it is secure, that it's an anchor for our souls. 
Aren't you thankful that we can be anchored in Christ who's unmoving, who's unchanging, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that we have hope available to us? We discussed in that talk that the the definition of hope is the constant expectation that God is working, he's moving even when we don't see it. And that as believers, we have a hope in that, that God can be working in the valley and he can be working on the mountaintop. He's working and moving right now, even though we don't feel him maybe, even though we don't see him, he's always working and moving. We have that assurance as believers. We talked about hope is the substance, really the foundation who's Jesus Christ. And then our faith is the action. So when we step out in faith, we're stepping out with the backing of having this hope in Jesus Christ. And then faith, then moving in faith, is the action of that substance, of that assurance known as hope. I love what Zechariah 9, 11 through 12 says. It says this. This is the prophet Zechariah encouraging a persecuted people as they're uh, beginning to rebuild the temple. It says this. It says, as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Verse 12 says, return to your fortress. And I love what it says right here, O prisoners of hope. And that's the part that really jumped out of the scripture to me, is how God's people were referred to as prisoners of hope. Now think if we as a church could really get behind this and really walk in this where no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance, we choose not to be bound by the circumstance, but we choose as God's people that no matter what to be prisoners of hope. Now that's, a, I could be a prisoner of hope, not pretty much anything else, but a prisoner of hope, I'm down for, I'm in. And he goes on to say, even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. When we look at our God, he has such a way of moving that when we return to him, just as you see here, it says return to your fortress, there's something about when we maybe are caught in sin, when we're caught in temptation, when we choose to get up and turn around to the fortress of our God, and he calls us prisoners of hope here, he announces to us, maybe you've experienced this, when you return and repent and you begin to rise in renewal, it's as though he restores twice as much back to you because he's that good of a God. He never leaves us empty-handed. He can restore wasted time. He can restore wasted years. He can heal and mend broken relationships. He's that good of a God who can restore not just what was taken, but twice as much of what was taken from us. So I pray that you walk out of here knowing that whatever your circumstance, you're not chained to it, but be chained to hope and be a prisoner of hope this morning. A great passage of scripture that really declares what hope is and gets very practical is 1 Peter. I challenge you this week to open up your Bibles and to read 1 Peter as it talks about how we're to love our enemies. It talks about what our living hope is. And here's what it says. It says in verse three, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says in his great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. Aren't you thankful that we are living stones and we have a living hope? And it says this hope, again, the substance of our hope is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's where it gets good. It says in verse four, and into an inheritance that we can never perish, one that can never spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. When through faith, 
who through faith are shielded by God's power unto the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. And here's where we get, begin to see it get very practical of how this hope is stirred, how it's formed within us through trials. It says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of a greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. So when you go through a trial, your hope is being tested. Your faith is being refined and tested and being made stronger than that of even gold. It says, verse eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. That's you and I. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That's what hope should do to you. It should fill you with an inexpressible and a glorious joy. For you receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It then goes into verse 13 on talking about holiness and, and integrating holiness into this hope we have. It says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, being hopeful, we are alert and we are fully sober. I love that. Here's where it says, it says, set your hope. So it's saying, now here's where I want you to position your faith, position your hope, and it's redefined again. Hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Aren't you thankful that we don't, again, have to be held in ignorance to our former lives, the things where sin tried to keep us captive. When we have this hope, that isn't attractive anymore. That doesn't taste the same anymore. But we then turn in hope to Jesus Christ and we become head over heels in love with him, that we wanna give everything and everything we are to him and follow him with all that we are. It says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work and partially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. First Peter, in its opening statements, even Peter addresses the church as exiles, as foreigners. It's always good to be reminded that this isn't our permanent home. This isn't our permanent address. We're foreigners, we're exiles, we're sojourners moving through to our final destination. So make the most of every opportunity we have for the kingdom of God here and now. It says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But here's the hope we have. But it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Aren't you thankful this morning again that we have this hope because of the blood of Jesus Christ? And so, as I was just praying and kind of thinking through the journey of pastoring now a little over three years, and this phrase that I shared with you a couple weeks ago has still just been stirring in me, and it was this, that expectation always leads to preparation. That when you wanna expect God to move or you wanna expect God to begin to do something in your life or expect God to do something in our church as we are. Expectation without preparation is really just the cliche. Like if you just say, I'm expecting this all the time, 
well, then you need to kind of take a step back or someone, a mentor, a leader, a pastor in your life needs to say, okay, well, what are you doing to prepare for it? Because if you're not, those are just empty words and that's a cliche and I'm good. But when you're expecting God to do something, you then have to go to work. As St. Augustine said, you gotta pray like it all depends on God, but then you gotta work like it all depends on you. So then you gotta begin to prepare and begin to set things in motion that if God were to bless or to move or to give you the thing that you're expecting, you would be prepared to handle it or to take it. Because I don't think there would be anything worse if God were to give you what you were expecting spiritually and your family, whatever that looks like, and you not be even prepared to take it. You see it all the time. That lack of preparation or lack of being able to handle then the blessing that God gives you. Pastor Joyce has said for years that with every blessing comes a responsibility. So when you pray for God to bless you, you better be ready to take the, the wall of responsibility that's waiting behind you to then come with it. And so expectation, as we're expecting, as you're expecting for lost ones to come home, as you're expecting for maybe even a promotion, or maybe you're saying, God, where's my spouse? Where's my wife? Where's my husband? Well, what are you doing to prepare for it? Sitting home, Netflix and chilling isn't going to prepare you to be a spouse, okay? You need to get to work. You need to serve. You need to begin preparing yourself. And then God has a way of at the right time without you realizing it, bring someone into your life, doesn't he, Brie? I know he did for us. So expectation leads to preparation. Number two is this, expectation eliminates distraction. One thing I know about the enemy is that if he can't kill you, if he can't get your destiny, if he can't get your purpose, he will distract you. And I think as believers, Many times we look again for the enemy with a pitchfork and a cape on, but many times the enemy can just bring distraction in our life to keep us off the good things, the great things that God, the purposes that he's called us to. He can just bring these distractions on in. Look what Proverbs, look what wisdom has to say. Proverbs 5.25 says this, and this is really should be a life verse for all of us. It says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. I love this too. It gets, starts to get detailed in verse 26. It says, give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. So as you're expecting, is, it, is eliminating distraction, you then have to lock in and get focused on God, focused on the perfecter of your faith. And God will begin to move. One thing I wrote in my notes is many times we complain about the speed that God is moving at. We complain about the speed. I wish this was happening faster in my life. Why is this feel so slow? Or why is there not the breakthrough that I've been praying or believing for? When we're asking the wrong question, it's not necessarily about the speed that God is focused on. He's more concerned about the direction that you're moving in. Speed and direction are different. We care more about the speed when God is saying, are you even moving in the right direction? Why would I speed you up if you're not even moving in the right direction? So I pray this morning as you're stepping out in faith, as you're having hope, that you would just take a step back and say, Holy Spirit, am I moving in the right direction? Because you're not gonna speed me up if I'm not moving in the right direction. So expectation eliminates distraction. 
Lastly, is this, is that in our expectation, as it leads to preparation, as it eliminates distraction, expectation, again, just to encourage you, determines our direction. Those are our three points this morning. And so I pray, as you're stepping out in hope, as you're anchored in hope, as you're moving in faith, as we shared really that word that we're wanting to have this greenhouse here where the seedlings, our children's hearts, our souls, their emotion, their personalities can be grown and developed in God so that as we are moving in faith, as we're having this hiding place in our homes, that God can begin to develop, that he can begin to do, that he can begin to move in the lives of our children, that we can unleash them as world changers into the world. So I want to take a moment. I just want to pray with you. And then I want to invite uh, Chad to come here and share a story of faith with you. Let's go before God in prayer. Father, we thank you so much that we have this hope that is firm, that is secure, that we are anchored in you. God, I pray for those here this morning. I pray for all of us this morning. God, that any distraction in our lives where our focus is broken, God, that you would align us to your purposes. You would align us to our callings. God, where we've maybe allowed sin, maybe on the other side of things, we've just allowed saying yes to the wrong things to distract us. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would convict us right now, that you would show us where we're not hitting the target. God, I thank you that as we're expecting that we would begin to put preparation in place. God, reveal the blueprints of how we can begin to prepare what we feel you've burdened us with. God, we thank you that you're a good God. God, that you call us prisoners of hope. God, we want to be defined by what you say, not what our circumstances say, not by what fear says but defined by what you say. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Well, quickly, I want to show you a few pictures, and then Chad, I want you to come. Can you throw up a couple of these pictures? This is just a very quick timeline, three pictures here. Number one, this is the, a picture I found that this was the original Gathering Place Church, the old sanctuary over here, the gravel driveway. How much has changed from here? And then in 1994, 1995, the next picture was the sanctuary we're in now. It's a wonderful, wonderful time. Though I hear I was a little seedling myself at this time. And then secondly, I found this picture of our fearless leaders, Pastor Joyce and Chester Robinson. Look at them there. I'm sure they're at a fellowship meal or something there. But there was just a few pictures of kind of the history of it all. Um, no, that's, oh, you got a few more back there? All right, so these will make you laugh a little bit. Secondly, guess who this is right here? 1998, I believe. Our school director, Kathy Colbertson, and our bass player, Jeff, probably holding Caleb in their hands. I know, Jeff looks like Caleb. It's crazy. A couple more pictures there. There's Sean and TJ. TJ was over here on the drums. There's Pastor Joyce with... Uh, Daniel, no, that's me there, and then Lexi, 
There's, a, there's worship over in the old sanctuary there, believe it or not. And this was um, Pastor Joyce's sister, uh, Carol. And that's her sitting in her office at the hospitality ministry. If you look closely in the background there, you'll see just a sign that says, expect a miracle. I think that's something that defines her in the work that she did of feeding the homeless, feeding the hungry, of encouraging people, giving them hope to expect a miracle. Is that all of them? Okay, no, this is good. This is the last one. This is a ZCA graduation. It's Colin and Clark there, Troy and Michelle's kids, and Scott Turner, worshiping Jesus at a kindergarten graduation. So there's just a quick timeline of just some of the things God has done. Oh, Troy and Michelle there with their twins. It looks like a, a church picnic up at the Rosegate Powerhouse property. But Chad, I want you to come. I just want you to share a little bit about the story of faith that you have and encourage us this morning about what it looked like for you to step out for God and what you've seen him done. Boy, that was a blast from the past. I want to say something before I get started. So you don't think I'm crazy. <laughs> I believe. I believe in his ways. I believe in what he's done for me. He's not a crutch that I lean on. He's the very essence of who I am. I believe he created me. I believe he knows every hair on my head. And that will cause you to do things you normally wouldn't do. My faith is in him. He is my confidence in everything that I do. And quite honestly, the way I was raised, I didn't have any other option but to be that way. Why do I believe? Because he has made himself real to me. He has shown me that he is real. And to get to the point that, that Garrett wants me to get to, I was sitting watching the sunset one evening, really not thinking about much of anything, just enjoying the sunset. And I felt that God spoke to me and said, I, I want you to buy this piece of property for the purpose of the church. And that's just the way that I felt like God spoke it to me. I knew the piece of property that I felt God was speaking of because this one had just came up. Well, it, it wasn't on the market. I had heard that the individual that owned it was wanting to sell it. 
And so, I believe obedience is very important. Not to your destruction, but to your health. To, to blessing. And, and I want to emphasize that. That there is a blessing that will fall upon you that comes through obedience when God is trying to use you. And I knew that. So I began to act on it. <laughs> Couldn't find it. Banks really didn't want to talk to me about it. it they felt it was too much money uh, that they were asking for the property. I, I went to some people that I felt had more wisdom in the real estate world than I did, and they pretty much all told me that it's not worth that much money. You're, he wants too much for it. That's why, you know, the big guys haven't snatched it up yet. So do you understand what comes at you right away is negativity, people telling you it's a mistake, And I never will forget, I was driving home from the guy I'd met that I felt would, would lead me in the, inter, or the uh, real estate world. And I was on the interstate, and God spoke to me and said, man is not your source, I am. So now, not only do I feel like he's led me in a direction to do something that I would have never done on my own, now he's wanting me to go against what I'm being told by professionals. And I remember making the decision that I'm going to do this because I believe. There has to be a reason that you want the piece of real estate bought for your purpose. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's going to happen. It's been there for quite a while now, and I still don't, and I don't care. Because in my part... I've tried to be obedient. Two years, well, to make a long story short, I go talk to him. I tell him I can't get it financed. Would you be interested in financing it? And he said, yes, he would for five years. And then at that point, I would need to get financing or whatever. So I was able to do that after five years of him financing it. So there's a door that God opened up that that man didn't know me from Adam. And he financed the property. Two years later, I got involved. I was in the trucking business. One of my trucks was involved in an accident up in Ohio, and I was slammed with a $7.5 million lawsuit against me. And I, yeah, I questioned God. Is this? I'm not saying I was right in it, but hey, I'm human. This is going to happen to me now after I've done that. And I was struggling, paying for the place, making the payment. And I went through a really hard time in my life right then. I didn't see the instant gratification of being obedient and believing in him and doing the way that I felt I was led. I was like, oh, I heard all wrong. 
got through the lawsuit and I was down in Florida and I was kind of looking for some warehouse property for a customer and I pulled up to this building and was sitting at the gate, it was dark, right before dark, there was a for sale sign on it and I was just looking at the building and I felt the presence of God and I'd been looking for a building for a few months and I said, okay, this must be the one. Once again, I'm going to step out and go with the way I feel he's leading me. So I bought that for the business. And to make a long story short, this was four years after the purchase of this down here. It was the most successful piece of real estate I had ever purchased. It made me the most money with the least amount of work. And it paid for that piece of property five times. My point is, no, it doesn't always happen as fast as we think it should. And no, we don't always know if we're going the right direction. But the importance is, is that you're obedient. God knows that you're stepping out for him because you believe that it is him that is leading you. You believe that you're doing it for him and that that confidence be there and remain there even two years later when you're on your hands and knees wondering why, when, where, how, Get up and move on and know that the blessing will come. The blessing will come for stepping out in faith in God for him and for his kingdom and for the furtherance of his kingdom and his people. Hallelujah. The ushers will come. God knows what you have need of. He knows how far you will go. And he knows where, when, and how. You, what you need, when you need it, and when it needs to be delivered to you. And just like with that piece of property down there, when the timing's right, it will become everything it's supposed to be. And I want to... I want to proclaim that today, and I want to believe it. And you know what? If at all God possible, I would love to see it. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you. We honor you. Father, we, we praise you for who you are, and we love you for what you've done. And God, we ask that you take our tithes and our offerings this morning, Father, and bless them. And, Father, that you would bless the giver. And, God, we ask that, that the money, Father, and the, and the assets that all move in the direction that you want them to move, Father, we give you full control of them right now. Father, and we ask that you, you bless the lives of these people that have come 
into this service today. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.